John the Baptist was a wild man. Those that have studied his life can attest to that. He was a man that that uh, ate uh, wild honey, the Bible talks about, and he ate locusts. That, this was his diet of choice and that he felt that he was to be able to, um, to do for God and to be able to fast and to be able to prepare. And he also wore camel's hair. Some theologians have him wearing the camel's hair inside out, which would be very coarse and prickly. And, and uh, they say that he would may, may, have, may have done that to keep himself in check always, making sure that he was always doing what God wanted him to do. And so John the Baptist, being his name, the Baptist, uh, that's what they, they named him as because his, his primary function was to baptize Israel and the, for the remission of their sin. Um, it was before Christ, so there was no, there was no Messiah. There was no Savior yet. The, the blood had not been spilled of Jesus. And so at that time, God was requiring his people to meet him at the River Jordan uh, through the ministry of John, who was the cousin of Jesus. And at that place, they would be baptized in that dirty river, uh, the Jordan, and they would come up in newness of life. Um, it was a unique ministry. He would be the last uh, major prophet uh, of the Old Testament. He'd be a part of the Old Testament prophets, even though he was ushering in the new. So he was a a very um, uh, a very special prophet because he stood with one foot in the old and one foot in the new. Probably more in the new than the old because he was so radical and so different. He was a wild man, wild to the people that would come see him. Wild to the, the government of his day, wild to the king of his day, wild to the Romans. Jesus, being the cousin of John, one day was, uh, uh, went to the River Jordan. This is before he was ever, ever to be known as anybody. Nobody had ever said anything about Jesus, especially except for his parents. And, um, and so he went, and, and when he went to be baptized by John, John saw his cousin differently, and he didn't see just Jesus, but he saw, the Bible says, he looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in other words, he was seeing him not as a cousin of familiarity, but in fact the Messiah, the Mashiach of Israel. And so uh, when he saw him that way, he said, I know you've come to be baptized, but I should be baptized of you. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, no, we have to have permitted to be so, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness, all that was told of me. And he baptized them. And when he baptized them, the Bible says the heavens were open and that, a, that the Spirit of God came and alighted upon Jesus like a dove. And everybody that was in the proximity heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased, giving Jesus the ultimate affirmation of a father to a son. I'm pleased with him. He, the, the anointing of the Spirit of God now rests upon him. Now, most people would think well, that after that happened that Jesus would be immediately uh, taken from there and into the palace where he would reign as king because most Jews at the time believed that Jesus would set up an earthly kingdom or Messiah would set up an earthly kingdom. And if he was the Messiah, then of course he would also become king. But instead, he was not put in some palatial place, but instead he was driven into the wilderness. Y'all didn't hear me. The first place that God called his son to go after he affirmed him in front of everybody as the king, as the Mashiach, the Messiah, was that he took him into the wilderness. There he would be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus ate no food and drank no water. Now we're going to go on a 21-day fast, y'all, and some of you are so, 
you know, you're already depressed about it because you got to give up a sandwich a day. He didn't have no food and no water. Some don't, and by the way, let me get this real clear with you because some of you might be new to this. When we say fast food, fasting food is what we should be saying. Not fast food because some of y'all, I could do McDonald's every day. Praise God, I can do fast food every day. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fasting food and prayer. Amen. So he's in the wilderness. He's had nothing to eat. His body's weak. He's had nothing to drink. That's a supernatural fast because you don't last past day four, maybe five at the most, but you don't get past uh, that and, and without dying, right, without internal organs beginning to shut down. And so there he was tempted by the devil. Let me ask you this question. Was the devil there to confront Jesus or was Jesus there to confront the devil? I think it's time that we turn the tables on the devil and begin to confront the temptations in our lives, confront the wrong relationships in our lives, confront the bad habits in our lives, confront the inconsistencies in our lives, and confront the sin in our lives. As a matter of fact, I prophesy that 2020 will be a year of confrontation. Amen. You might be in a wilderness right now. You may feel like well, the Lord has deserted you in the, this place called the desert or the wilderness right now. But the Spirit of God was the one who drove you there to confront the weakness in order to strengthen you in your purpose. And sometimes we want it the opposite way. We want to have it our way, which would be total comfort. But this is not comfort. This is confrontation. Jesus came out of the wilderness, out of that wild place. Everybody say, it's going to get wild. He came out of that wild place, the wilderness place, where there was no food, there was no water, there was no pillow to sleep at night, a nice fluffy uh, uh, a sleeping bag in a tent. There was nothing out there but him and God and the scorpions and the devil. And it was there that after 40 days and 40 nights of being there that God again, affirms him, he comes up out of that wild place, and some of you are in a wild place right now, came up out of that wild place, having defeated the devil, the Bible says, so badly that the devil had to run for his life until an opportune time, which lets me know the devil can't attack you 24-7. He works within times and within seasons. Amen. And he may fight hard, but he can't fight you long. Just make sure you stand your ground and say, I'm not going to give up no matter what. I've got a promise from God. I may be in a wild place right, right now, but like Jesus, in the end, he came out in the power of the Holy Ghost. And it was there that Jesus started his earthly ministry, signs, wonders, and miracles. And for three and a half years, he turned his world upside down, right side up, because he had the power of God. All because he was willing to confront the devil in the wilderness three times and defeat him every single time. Now, look, the wilderness is the place of, of uncomfortable circumstances. It's uncomfortable when you fail. It's uncomfortable when you fall. It's uncomfortable when your family turns their back on you. It's uncomfortable when you broke. But with God, all things are possible. And if God be for you, then who can be against you? You're not out there by yourself. God is with you. Everybody say, God is with me. So let's look at Psalms 23, verse 1. Not going to preach long, but going to get the point across this morning in the anointing. Amen. I want to break this down this morning leading into 2020. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Where is he? With you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice that God prepares a table for you. God sets the table for you. I believe God is setting the table for us, his children, in 2020. And he sets it in a unique place. Because the Bible, he says, he sets it, this, your table, in the presence of your enemies. In other words, your haters are going to hate. But your haters are going to have to watch you receive special favor in 2020 from the Father. Somebody say amen. Just turn to your neighbor and say, don't hate, because favor ain't fair. Come on, just tell them. You ever think about that? Someone gets a new car, like, that ain't right. I know their life. They don't have to hardly do what's right half the time. Yet God knows their heart. God knows what they've sown. And by the way, you're not the judge. You're not the jury. Thank God. Because according to your standard, I wouldn't go to heaven, and most of the people around you would go to heaven. Just you and you alone, praise God. But God looks at us differently. God judges us differently, amen. He sees what we've sown, and therefore he says, now you can reap, amen. So when I say favor ain't fair, sometimes it don't look fair. So favor may not be fair, but favor is always just. God always justifies what he wants to justify. Now let's look over here, because church, we don't have to be afraid of our enemies or our haters. What we need is some understanding. Look at verse number one. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I, uh, we're going to go down those, we're going to have to break those through so they can see on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The promise is, you shall not want. What that means is that you're not going to have to lack for anything. That's called good news. I don't have to lack for anything. You shall not lack for anything. But the condition is Jesus has to be your shepherd. Well, I gave my life to him uh, 25 years ago. Yeah, but is he your shepherd? So the question is this morning, is Jesus really your shepherd? Does he actually lead your life or are you still leading your life? Oh, I only got a few amens on that one because we got to think about it. And the thing is, is that most of the time we end up wanting to lead our own lives. And how I know that is because of the lack of prayer. Which, by the way, next Sunday, right? Sunday night, 555. We back online for Jesus. We're going to pray right here. We got to get back. Amen. Took a couple months off there, but we're back. Amen. But, but, but the reason why I'm saying this is because if you'll check your prayer life, you'll know who's actually leading your life. If you're not spending time with God, I'm not talking about throwing Hail Marys up to Lord Jesus, just help me today. In Jesus' name, amen is all the time I got for you. Oh, quit. You got time to watch 15 series on Netflix. I'm preaching better than y'all want to shout. But ain't got five minutes for Jesus. Come on. No, no, no. He, is he leading your life? Is he the shepherd of your life? 
Is he, is he making decisions? Because we got way too many renegade, rebellious Christians doing their own thing, thinking that they're doing the right thing. The truth of the matter is you're doing your own thing, which means you, you are rebellious. Rebellion is, a, is something that, that God, God pushes away from. It's called pride. And the Bible says he gives grace to the humble and lifts them up. But the pride, come on, they will fall. God resists the proud. Now, my point to bring that up is, is that because when you allow Jesus to be your shepherd, saying, Lord, you take the leadership of my life, that's when plenty comes. That's when prosperity comes. That's when promotion comes. That's when you start seeing you don't have a lack for anything. No want. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. And the shepherd takes care of his sheep. The shepherd is a watchman. Uh, and what he does is he watches out for harm, any potential harm that may come to the sheep, potential harm even in what he eats. If he's around poisonous plants, the shepherd will make sure that he doesn't eat the poisonous plants. Around sharp rocks while they travel in order that, that sometimes the sheep will get cut, turning corners too tight against sharp, sharp rocks. Or floods that may come due to rains and they could drown or be stuck in the mud or whatever. Uh, cliffs uh, that are steep, they make sure that they're, they're cared for. Or, and especially prey. The wolves, birds of prey that will come and peck at them. And, and, of course, the wolves we know. But what about the worst prey? Human beings. So the shepherd is there to make sure that no harm comes to them. He's a watchman. But the shepherd's also a guide. A sheep, sheep are not in, independent travelers on their own. They need a guide. They need somebody to help them through to make sure they're getting to the proper place where they can be fed and watered, where they can be nurtured and taken care of, where they can go from one place to the next. They need somebody to take care of them. But also, um, the shepherd is a savior. Sometimes the sheep are lost. And most of the time before they know Jesus, all the time they're lost, right? But sometimes even Christians will lose their way. And we are, the, we are the sheep of God, the sheepfold of God. And the Bible talks about the shepherd that Jesus gave the, 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 the story about, and he, uh, he, the parable, and said that the shepherd will leave the 99 to go after the one who's lost until he finds it. Because why? The shepherd is a savior. But also the shepherd is a provider. Again, leading them and guiding them to food and water, making sure they're taking care of their daily necessities. The shepherd also is a lover and he's not a hireling. Jesus said the good shepherd calls his sheep by name. Why? He loves those sheep. He knows them by name. He knows their attributes. He knows their idiosyncrasies. He knows everything about them, the color of their wool, and, and he knows where there's a mole and where there's a tooth, tooth missing or whatever. But Jesus calls, said a good shepherd calls his sheep by name and doesn't run off when the wolf comes. You don't want a hireling Jesus. You want a Jesus that's sold out, a shepherd that's sold out. And by the way, we know he's sold out because he gave his own blood. But if I can just kind of digress for a moment and talk about shepherds and the flock of God here on earth. A poimain, poimain would be the name. Poimain is the Greek word for shepherd, and it means it would be the word pastor for us today. A pastor, pastoral, would be over the sheep or to help the sheep. But I found out there's a lot of preachers out there that live for whatever moves their career to the next level. I want to talk about it for just a second. And they're not good shepherds of the sheep. 
They're more interested in getting on a plane, traveling somewhere, going from conference to conference, getting their cards out there. I'm talking to some other preachers that might be listening to us by way of the internet today. Amen. I want to help them out a little bit. You're a hireling. That's not what God called you to do. God will set you within the sheepfold and say, if you don't smell like the sheep, come on, somebody, you're not a true shepherd. Amen. Now, that's for the people that probably are listening on the uh, internet. Praise God. But let me give you verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. He says, lie down. Take your rest. The, the shepherd ain't going to make you go pedal to the metal all the time. There are times you got to take a break in your life. There's other times you guys got, the Lord says, look, I got this. You ain't going to try to make this happen. I got this. He's what he's saying. He's saying, lie down. No more striving. No more trying to get somewhere in the proverbial treadmill of life. Just trying. But you got a lot of, exerting a lot of energy, but getting very little results. You're getting nowhere. Why? Why? Because there's plenty here. The sheep doesn't have to try to eat all the grass that night. There's plenty of the field left for you to enjoy. Amen. So he says, lie down. In the next verse, verse 2 he, said, he says this, the shepherd leads me beside the still waters. Jesus is always about calming the waters in your life. He doesn't want your life to be hectic. He doesn't want your life to be out of control. 2020, we cannot go into 2020 like we did 2019 and 18 and 17 and 12 and 8. Come on, somebody. We can't go in frantic. We can't go in striving to make it happen. We can't go in with that. We have to allow him to lead us to still waters where there's no storms, where Jesus literally says, peace, be still. In other words, I want your worries. You don't need to worry about it. Let me be your shepherd. The sheep don't get up in the morning and go, how am I going to make it today? I don't even know what I'm going to do today. Is there enough food for me today? I'm not sure. Enough water? I don't know if there's going to be enough water. We're going to talk to the shepherd. We need to have a meeting with the shepherd tonight. Because I don't know about this, and I don't know about where we're going. Where are we going? Where is he leading us? We have to learn to trust the shepherd. He loves us. He's not a hireling. He guides us to plenty. And in verse number three, it says, it says that, 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 uh, that the shepherd restores my soul. He restores, let's say, he restores my soul. The soul is unique. Because the soul is not your spirit. Matter of fact, every time the Bible mentions spirit and soul, there are different words. Totally different words. Like they are in English, they are the same. Uh, different words in Greek that have different meanings. The soul means this. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. The spirit is who you are. Your body is what we see on the outside. But you also have a soul, which is your mind, your thinking, your will. I will to do this. I will not do that. And it's your emotions, how you emote, how you feel about something, right? And I say in 2020, we're going to have to get our emotions along with our mind, our thinking, and our will in check. But I found out if we'll just get our, start to work on our emotions. Again, I'm preaching a lot better. Y'all want to shout this morning. I'm an emotional guy. I get, I'm emotional. When I'm passionate, I, when I like something, I like it. When I dislike it, I dislike it. If I like something, I tell everybody how much I like it. If I dislike I tell everybody how much I dislike it, right? I'm a, I'm a passionate kind of person, right? And, um, 
and uh, I, I, I emote so you kind of know where I'm at. And I've gotten better, y'all, through the years. When I was a younger preacher, I emoted everything. I was up here. If I didn't like something, I'd just tell you I didn't like this and where the people at today. And, uh, and why, why, why we are, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to say it today. Amen. Actually, we have a pretty good crowd. Um, and, uh, and I would say, boy, was something wrong with the AV? Ask my son. He, he, he remembered that. If something went wrong in the screen, I'd be, I would stop my message and start rebuking them and say, where is this and where is that and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was kind of a, a, a jerk, I guess would be the word. But I was emotional. So I would, I, I, would, I, would, I would go with that because to me that was being truthful with where I'm at. But I've learned to control my emotions. I still deal with some emotions when I'm driving. And I've ran across some of y'all, and I know you do the same thing, praise God. And this was a little while back, and I've gotten better, a little bit better since then. And, and it was right after church, and uh, it was a Sunday after church. This is, gosh, this is probably a decade ago. And it was a great day and all that stuff, and we were spiritual, and it was wonderful. And, and so we were going to get a little bite to eat, and so we went out and got a bite to eat. Now we're going to rush back because our youth ministry was uh, on Sunday afternoons and so, um, or evenings. And so we were rushing back to get to the church, and we got stuck down there on 1st Street. And um, you know where um, Chuck E. Cheese is at? Is that 1st Street? Yeah. Chase. And so, and I got stuck down there because they were doing a carnival down there. So it's packed, and people don't know how to drive. People don't care. It's Sunday. For them, they just chill and relax. And I feel like i got to teach everybody. How y'all, anybody else feel that way? I feel like I want to give everybody a lesson of how to drive. And so, and I'm, I'm getting upset. And I'm not saying much, but I'm getting upset. And I'm getting more upset. And I'm getting more frustrated because we can't get through. We can't get through. And all people do is just, just do what they're telling you to do, turn here, go. So anyways, <clears throat> so I got a guy. And he gets in front of me and cuts me off. Well, that just triggered it right there. I got so upset. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this guy don't even know who he's dealing with right now. I know Jehovah, and I will call lightning down from the heavens. Actually, I didn't think about that. I was just being in my flesh. I was upset. I'm mad. I'm screaming at the guy, right, like he cares. All tinted with a big black Mercedes, tinted windows, right? So, uh, so I, get, I was able to get around him. And get to him, and I'm looking at him, and I'm kind of saying, he's got his windows rolled. I'm, I'm kind of yelling at him. I can't see what he's doing. And then I get in front of him and cut him off. That felt good, man. It felt good. And so now I'm in front of him. Well, then he gets, he gets around me. Some you, know, you got to wait for the traffic. He gets around me. Floors, he got that big old Benz, uh, that Mercedes. He pulls in front of me, gets in front of me. I'm thinking, oh, this jerk. And he gets in front of me, steps on his brakes. So I got to screech him up. When I screech him up, my brakes... Uh, Anna was sitting behind me, and Anna weighs about a buck five, and she hit the back seat so hard it felt like a it felt like a, a two bags of a potato, sack of potato, hit the back seat, bang, and then you know how you feel bad, but you don't say nothing. And then I blamed her and said, "Well, you should have had your seatbelt on." <laughs> and so I, I'm ticked, man. I'm now I'm really mad because now I'm embarrassed and mad, right? So now, now he gets up, and we both, I get around this way. Now he's in the left lane, I'm in the right lane, and it goes to a red light. So here I come, amen, right next to him. Roll down my window. I'm talking to this guy, right? I'm talking to this guy. You almost killed my future daughter-in-law. And I'm, I'm going, and the guy rolls down the window. When he rolls down the window, I recognized him. 
See, there's this little place that we go, Pastor Ruben and I, through the week we go, maybe once a week, maybe every other week, we go uh, a little Persian uh, restaurant, and the people that owned it were Muslim, good people. And we were witnessing to the owner of this Persian restaurant for about a year solid. And he even invited us over to have a meal with his family for Ramadan. And then we said, no, we, won't, we don't mess with your family. That's with your family. They brought us food from their own table. They were just precious, precious people. I'm trying, sure enough, rolled in the window, it's him. He didn't know it was me at first, and I didn't know it was him. But when I looked, I looked over at him, and I said, hey. And I, was, I didn't know what to say. I said, you know, you cut me off back there. He goes, I think you cut me off as well, my friend. You know, mm-hmm. I said, God bless you. <laughs> How many knows your sin will find you out? Come on. <laughs> 2020, we got to get rid of them emotions. We got to get rid of those emotions. There's a lot of things that we're looking at. People look at us and think, yeah, they're a Christian. I don't know that there's so much Christ-like that's in them. Some, some people here today, you may be fighting discouragement. And discouragement, he said, restore my soul. Discouragement is a soul issue. And Jesus is a restorer of soul. That's why in the, in the New Testament, in 1 John, uh, it, says, it says, I pray, my beloved, that you prosper even as your soul prospers. So there's something called soul prosperity, to do good, to, to do well, to arrive into your destination, what prosperity means. So the, your, your will will arrive there. Your emotions will arrive there. Your mind will arrive there. Now let's look at verse number three. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Most people don't want to be led. We kind of covered this a moment ago, but just hear me out. They want to make their own decisions without any interference. And I say that this way, I heard this so many years ago and I've used it since, some are sent and some just went. There are people that were supposed to be in this church, got offended because they didn't have soul prosperity. And as a result of that, they went away. And I see it too often and it breaks my heart because most of those people never go back to church again. Some are sent by God and some just went. Look, church, God's got you for this next year. You can stay put. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not talking about this church. In your job, in the city, uh, in your anointing, your ministry, you can stay put. God's got you. You are not to try to make the will of God happen for yourself. You are led. Everybody say, I'm led. You are led by your shepherd, King Jesus, into paths of righteousness, which means right ways. In other words, you are led in paths that are right and correct for you. Shepherds don't drive the sheep. They're not cattle. You can't take a whip and crack a whip like, like a cowboy would wrangling up his, his, um, his cattle. And he gets behind him and cracks the whip and, and drives the cattle across the country. You can't do that with sheep. Try it. They'll scatter. They'll go everywhere. They're afraid. And, and when you try to drive them, they don't stay together. They, they wander off to themselves. So shepherds never drive. Shepherds always lead. Jesus said, come follow me. He didn't say, I'm going to make you do what I say. He simply offers direction. says, if you'll just follow me 
And trust me, I will lead you where you need to go. You know, y'all want something deep for 2020? I'm telling you, we got to learn to trust the shepherd. And the shepherds in Asia, the shepherds in, 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 in different parts of the world, uh, Tibet, uh, is Israel, especially ancient Israel. If you were to see them, though, even today, you will see shepherds still. And they'll lead their flocks. They're literally in front of their flocks with their rod, the staff. And they'll, they'll lead. And, and the way that they lead, many of them will just whistle. And they'll begin to whistle. And the sheep hear the whistle, and they follow the shepherd. Or they'll begin to sing a song. Or they'll just talk. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and another they will not follow. So God will never make you do something you want to do or not want to do. He simply says, I just want to take the lead, therefore you're always going to be in a place of safety. My, my sheep know my voice. So we need to practice in 2020 knowing and hearing the voice of God for our lives. Now today you're hearing me preach, but you're hearing also the voice of God because I'm speaking his word. You can have that every day of your life. You can get back on, online and listen to it again. You can have another preacher speak that into your life. Um, uh, but first, I want to say this. What we got to do is just say, I need a relationship with God. I know I'm going to heaven. I do love him, but I don't talk to him that much. And then I found out I did a lot of talking in the beginning days of prayer. I do a lot of listening now. I do my talking. I do my confession. I do my prayer. I do my asking. All that's important. It's a very, very vital. But also, I listen to him. What do you have to say to me today? And sometimes I don't hear anything. And sometimes on that moment, maybe during the day sometime I might, or maybe days later. But I'm always listening to hear what God has to say. But especially when I open his word, I've got all the words that he's saying to me right now. Next part of that verse says, we do this. He said, he said this. Let me back it up. He said, um, in your paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Church, there's no other name greater than the name of Jesus. There's power, power in the name of Jesus. I've never seen the devil cast out one time by the name of Buddha. Never. No. But I've seen many devils come out of people shriek in horror and in pain when you mention the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, a little test you can do uh, at work when you go back to work, maybe going back tomorrow, maybe next week, whatever, you get back you just, and you're in the lunch break room and just say, you ever heard, anybody ever heard anything about Buddha lately? Anything, anything that you can talk to me about Buddha? I'm just kind of interested. And let, him just, let, let people just talk. Everybody be fine with it. Eating their sandwiches, hanging out, drinking the pop, whatever. Right, having a little cup of coffee. And then the next day, say, I want to just take a moment to talk about Jesus. And see what happens in the room. Because Jesus said, because he's alive, he's not dead. He said, I came to bring a sword. And for some, it'll bring people to me. And for some, it'll draw them away. But it will definitely bring separation of some kind. There's always a reaction to the name of Jesus. And the people that got them devils got to leave that break room. Amen. It's a little test you can try out. I came home from work. Many have heard this story before, but just so good. This was years ago, and I wasn't serving the Lord. And uh, it's about mm, 19, probably. Uh, I came to the Lord in 89, probably 88. And, um, and uh, I came home from work. I was kind of having a bad day, blah, blah, blah. I remember grabbing the mail out of the mailbox and coming in. I was just a kid. 
we were just married for a couple years, and my wife was on the phone. You remember those phones? They put on the wall with the cord thing. We have one of those. And um, she was on the phone, and she was talking to my mom on the phone. And I'm already wanting her attention, you know. So, uh, and she's on the phone, and she's kept, she, they're talking about the Lord. And all I kept hearing was, Jesus this, and Jesus that, and Jesus this, and Jesus that, and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all I kept hearing. I am now livid. I am so upset. I mean, I'm just, I'm about ready to boil. Finally, like, get off the phone. Get off the phone, right? So she finally gets off the phone, and man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and it came up out of me. I didn't think about it. It came up out of me. I said, hey. I said, you don't say that name like that. You understand me? I said, you don't say that. You can't, I said, I said, you can't say it that many times and think it's going to work. And I said it, and then I heard myself say it. How many knows after I came to Jesus, I had to have the devil cast it out of me. The devil had to come out of me. True story. The devil hates the name of Jesus because there's power in it. So when he leads you in a path of righteousness, it's for his name's sake. What does it do? It breaks the yoke of bondage and gives you your breakthrough. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait. I thought he was leading me to paths of righteousness, not the valley of the shadow of death. Why does he do that? Because it's confrontation time. Let me make this statement. This valid you are in, or maybe when you're going to go in, I don't know. But no matter what, it's never been meant for you to have a destination spot there. That is not your destiny. The children of Israel couldn't get it through their heads. That God just wanted them to go in the wilderness, worship, and then go into the promised land. But they're not there for a few days. They're there for 40 years. Which, by the way, the scholars teach us that it would only take them 40 days to get to the promised land. But they went the long way around the mountain. Many times around the mountain. Forty years they were in the wilderness because they had a mentality, squatter's mentality. This is all God's got for me. The wilderness is not a place of destination. It's a place where you shred off the old so you can step into the new. And I'm going to prophesy that we're about ready to step into a new day in 2020. Goodbye, kiss 2019, goodbye. The latter part of verse 4 says, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherd has a rod and a staff. Don't be afraid. I will fear no evil. God's rod and staff is not there to break you. It's there to break the back of your enemies. Look at verse 5. This is the place of testing. You Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You have been anointed by God for this new year. Your cup is going to run over, which means there's going to be a plentiful supply in this new year. And by the way, can I teach something right now? When God gives you, I'm so, I'm so confident he's going to do it. When he gives it to you, just remember, you got to take care of God too. Your 10%, that 10% belongs to God. You don't eat your seed. So when God brings you more, you get a better job or a job or a promotion, whatever, just remember, you got to give 10% of that to him. Amen. And that's how we supply the kingdom. That's how the church goes forward. That's how the gospel continues to move forward. That's how we do it. That's what I believe is going to happen to you this year. Your cup is going to run over. That means that God has completely prepared for you the most incredible table, a banquet spread, he wants you to enjoy every course. A big, 
heaving helping of healing and helping of prosperity, a bite of deliverance, a, a taste of joy, a, a side of peace, a portion of promotion. God wants to feed you well this year. But again, you are not the only one invited to the feast. Your enemies have joined you. Look at again at verse 5, and I'm going to finish up. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The enemy will try to rob your blessing. When he sees the blessing, the table, he's going to join the table to try to rob you. The first enemy that will sit at your table to rob your blessing is going to be guilt. I find that most Christians don't receive God's best because they don't feel they're worthy of it. So when I mention that God wants to bless you with a car or a vacation, the devil whispers in your ear and says, you don't deserve it. Guilt begins to set in. And when I say that you've been saved by grace and not a works you couldn't earn it, you can't pay for it. The devil says to you, you don't deserve it. Guilt begins to set in. I'm not worthy of salvation. When I say God wants to promote you and give you a good life, the devil says you don't deserve it. So guilt sets in, and you're just happy to have a mediocre life. But Jesus, not only is the enemy at the table, Jesus is also at the table. So that when the devil says these things to you, you don't deserve it because you're this or you're that or you're the other. Jesus said all you got to do is confess your sin. And if you're faithful and you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus reminds you it's not about you, it's about me. The next enemy that has come to your table to rob your blessing is going to be doubt. Well, you know, I, I've, said, I've said that before and it didn't happen. I didn't get it. They get the job, they get the promotion. And then what happens? Doubt begins to set in. Don't know that God will ever do it for me. Mark 11 says this, when you speak a thing, say, when you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but believe the things you say will come to pass, you will have whatsoever you say. That puts a new type of anointing on your speech. The Bible says, call those things that be not... Speak those things that be not as though they what? Were. Talk your victory. <laughs> I feel like talking some victory up in here this morning. Talk your victory. Heaven puts a demand on victory. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone, not just some, but everyone who, who, who seeks, find. And everyone who knocks, the door shall be opened unto him. Don't doubt it. Next enemy who comes to rob your blessing is fear. Fear means to expect something or worry about something bad happening to you that you cannot control. And Jesus said, what by worrying can you add one cubit to your stature? You can't change anything by worrying. Walk in faith. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. No anxiety attacks. Why? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer. Goes back to my relationship with him. And, and, and supplication with thanksgiving. The Bible talks about letting requests be made known unto God. That the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Not anxiety. Peter said, learn to cast all your care Upon him who cares for you. Some say, well, it is what it is, my friend. It'll never change. It'll always be this way. And that's our trouble. Our speech has got to change. 
And by the way, remember Jesus is at the table and says, didn't I say I haven't given you the spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind? That's what's coming to us this year. We're not going to lose control in our emotions, our will, and our mind. The last enemy that comes to the table to rob your blessing is unforgiveness. I see this everywhere I go. You must forgive that husband. You must forgive that wife. You must forgive that brother or sister. You must forgive that, that abuser. You must forgive that pastor that did you wrong, that church member that did you wrong. You must forgive God the Father. Some of you, you've held things against God, thinking God has caused all this trouble in your life or does not hear you when you pray, and therefore you've shut things down and closed the heavens over your life because you have faulted the king when the Bible is clear that he can do no wrong. Everything he does is right. Matthew 16, 14, and I close. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses or sin, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why? The Bible says that unforgiveness is the word scandalon. It brings an offense. You're offended. And that word scandalon means to build a trap. So what has happened is, is that you built a trap by digging a hole, a pit, putting sharp implements at the bottom of the pit for, for big game, closed up the top of it to look like the ground floor with, with branches and, and with leaves, and then you baited the middle of that thing so uh, you know whatever you're trying to capture will go in that, be harmed or killed, and you would have fresh meat. But instead, you forgot that you put the hole in the ground and one day you're walking by and you fall into it and you're the one that's maimed or killed. That's what that word means. When you get offended because of unforgiveness in your life, the trap you set for someone else is the trap that's been set for you. Does that make sense? We got to let it go because if we don't, we're the ones falling into the pit. Psalms 23, 6, and I am done. I promise you I am done. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Somebody say amen.